Good morning, guys, and thanks for joining us today. Well, it's been a rough couple of weeks for our church as we've dealt with various cases of COVID, and and some of you are pretty upset about the election right now, and, and these are not laughing matters, but I think sometimes laughter is the best medicine. So I wanted to start today with a story about a guy who had a really bad day, and so bad that you just can't help but laugh. So here it goes. Dear Sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in Block 3 of the Accident Report form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for a fuller explanation, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. Uh, when I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over, which, when weighed later, were found to be slightly in excess of 500 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, uh, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks onto it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the bricks. You will note in block 11 of the accident report form that my weight is 135 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone, as listed in Section 3 of the Accident Report form. Slowing only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoid of the weight of the bricks, that barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations of my leg and lower body. Here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks, and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks, in pain, unable to move, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope, and I lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back down to me. This explains the two broken legs. So there you go. If you're having a bad day or a bad couple weeks, you can just think about this guy, and, and maybe things won't seem quite as bad. Okay, so here we go. Uh, we're, we're talking about the topic of unity this week, and, and the timing of this week's topic is pretty amazing when you think about it, because it's an area that our country really needs to hear a whole lot about right now. Obviously, we're a country that is divided in, in so many ways, and, and I believe the church has an incredible opportunity right now to show the world what a wonderful thing unity can be. Now, there's a, a, a lot of talk already about being unified as a country again, and, and I want to say this first about unity for our country. The only thing that will give our country lasting unity and peace is the foundation of the unity in, that comes in Jesus Christ. Okay, true unity can only come through Jesus Christ. Did you hear me on that? 
true lasting unity can only come through Jesus Christ. And that is where Christians and the church can come in and, and show the world what true unity looks like. It's, it's a golden opportunity. But here's what I've heard many times in the last couple of weeks from really Christians on both sides of the political spectrum. Both sides have said the same thing. I can't believe so many people that call themselves Christians voted for this guy. How can they call themselves Christians? And both sides believe that they're 100% right. And Satan loves it. In fact, I feel like disunity is one of Satan's biggest tools that he likes to use. He wants Christians to fight among themselves. He wants churches to be divided because he knows that disunity takes away uh, from the witness of Jesus to the world. And we can't let that happen. Our, our series right now is called One Thing. And, and here's one thing that you need to know for sure about unity. God wants his people unified and working together, and that unity will be a great example to the world. Let me say that again. God wants his people unified and working together, and that unity will be a great example to the world. Our core verses this week are Ephesians 4, 4 through 7. So listen to this, guys. This is good stuff. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Hey, that's a lot of ones, isn't it? There's one body of Christ. You're either part of the body or you're not part of the body. There's one Holy Spirit. There's one hope. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God. So you can see how God things God designed things to be one, together, unified. And humans have divided things up. We've broken the, the perfect unity that God has attended, had intended. It started in the Garden of Eden uh, when Adam and Eve put a gap between humans and God, and it's continued with all mankind throughout history. But we're reminded in this passage that, that God is over everything, no matter what people do. Okay, he's in control. That doesn't change. We, we don't have to worry about that. But because of sin, we are going to have to fight to stay unified. Okay, it's, it's never going to be an easy thing because Satan doesn't want us to, to be unified. Like I said, he loves division. In the last week of Jesus' life on this earth, he sat down with his disciples and he, he told them a bunch of things as he tried to prepare them for what was about to come. And he taught them, and, and he comforted them, and he prepared them, and, and prayed for them. And we have this beautiful prayer recorded in John 17. And, and in that prayer, he, he was praying for his disciples first. But then he also prayed for all believers. Let, let's read that part of the prayer. It's in John 17, verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world believe, will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Okay. I think several things stand out about this passage. Okay, Jesus prayed. First of all, he prayed for you personally. 
Okay, he said he was praying for, for every, everyone who would ever believe in him. Okay, that, that's you if you're a believer. Jesus was praying for you 2,000 years ago. Isn't that cool? Doesn't it make you feel special when you know someone is praying for you? Somebody tells you, hey, I've been praying for you, and, and, and you know that they have been. There's an older guy I know who lives in Carl Junction, and he doesn't go to our church, but he's a wonderful Christian man. And every time I see him, he says, I, I pray for you every day, brother. And that's awesome to know, you know, that somebody is praying for me every day. Jesus prayed a special prayer for us while he was still on this earth. And, and in other places, it says he's still interceding on our behalf. Okay, so Jesus is on our side. And then Jesus prayed that we would be unified. Okay, he said, Lord, I pray for them that they would all be one just as he is one with God. Okay, that, that's the kind of unity that we're looking for. Okay, the kind of unity that, that God the Father and God the Son have with each other. It's this perfect union. But why is this so important to be one just like he is one with God? Why is Jesus praying this? What's, what's the big deal? Well, it's very clear here. Okay, Jesus told us the biggest reason that he uh, prayed for us to be one is this. He prayed, so that the world will believe you sent me. So the world will believe you sent me. Wow. Do you see how important that is? That's big. Unity is actually connected to the world believing in Jesus. This is huge. There's just something about when the world sees Christians getting along and working together that draws them to Jesus. They want that for themselves, and, and that's not normally what happens out in the world. So this is a big, big deal if the world sees Christians being united in Christ. And how is it possible to be unified? Jesus says that it's in, in, in his prayer, he talks about us. He says, I've given them the glory you gave me so they might be one as we are one. Okay, now there's a question. Okay, what's this mean? He, he gave us his glory. And there are a lot of different interpretations of, of what this means personally i think jesus is referring to the holy spirit here i'm not going to take time to go into all the details on this but it says i am in them and you are in me okay how is jesus in us through the holy spirit okay as christians we are given the holy spirit we are given the glory of god and when we allow the holy spirit to fully work in us he unifies us okay on our own we're always going to struggle with this it's our nature. But with the Holy Spirit fully working in us, we can be unified. And then in reinforcing what, what he had already prayed, uh, Jesus prayed that our unity would show the world that God sent him. Okay, he prayed, may, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Okay, there are a lot of different things that Jesus could have prayed about. You know, the things that, that might help the world know that God sent him. But he chose to pray about unity. Okay, that's how important this is. He's saying, here's why I want them to be unified. So that the world will believe that he was sent by God. It's a huge testimony for Jesus when we're unified. And not only uh, would it show that the world, the world that God sent him, Jesus prayed that our unity would show how much God loves us. Hey, have you ever thought about that? When, when Christians are unified, it helps the world know just how much God loves us. Okay, we can be a reflection of God's love. It's like we're a reflecting pool 
for God's love. You know, you, you look and you can see a reflection. We can reflect God's love. And if you think about the opposite way, when Christians aren't unified, it's like it puts this unnecessary barrier between people and God. When they see division among Christians, it, it actually drives them away from God. Our unity shows the world how much God loves them. But what does unity look like? Okay, first of all, unity means working together. Okay, there's a story of a husband and wife who were riding a bicycle built for two. And they came to a steep hill and began to climb it. And it took a great deal of struggle for them to complete what proved to be a very stiff climb. When they got to the top, the husband said to the wife, man, that sure was a hard climb. The wife replied, yes, and if, if I hadn't kept the brakes on all the way, we would certainly have rolled down backwards. That's definitely not working together. My grandma and grandpa used to have a bicycle built for two, and, and my cousins and I used to ride that thing all over the little town of Brooklyn, Iowa. And, and sometimes the younger cousins definitely weren't doing their part on the back of the bike. They just were kind of along for the ride. Being unified involves a conscious effort of, of working together. Now, does being unified mean you agree about everything? No, not at all. Th there are a lot of areas that, that there can be some disagreement on among Christians. There can be you know, different thoughts on things like style of worship and, and, and even a lot of theological issues. For example, take the end times. There are a ton of different views on what's going to happen in the end times. And, and you can get into a whole bunch of different discussions. Uh, are you a premillennialist? And if you're a premillennialist, are you a dispensational premillennialist? Or, or maybe you're a historic premillennialist? Or, or are you a amillennialist? Or maybe you're a postmillennialist? And, and the list could go on. And it's okay to study the end times, and there are things to be learned from that study. But the only thing that we truly need to agree upon in the end times is that Jesus is going to come back one day, and we need to be ready. And we need to make sure that as many other people are ready as well. And so there are a lot of areas of Christianity that aren't completely black and white. Those are areas that should not divide us. One of the models of the restoration movement, which is the the heritage that Christian churches like ours are, are from. And it says this, in matters of faith, unity, in matters of, of opinion, liberty, in all things, love. Hey, that is so true. Our, our faith needs to be unified on Jesus Christ. But there are some things that God you know, le leaves open to some opinion. But in all things, there needs to be love. And so we need to make sure to keep the main things the main things and give some flexibility in other areas. You know, as a church, we have a statement of beliefs, and, and you can find that statement on our website if you'd like to know where we stand on various areas and, and what we believe are the essential items. But Christians don't have to agree on non-essential things. And that's okay. Okay, we do this in love. Now, the Apostle Paul, he followed the lead from Jesus about the importance of unity as well. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you perf be perfectly united in mind and thought. Okay, so, so what do we see here? Okay, what does unity look like? It, it looks like being one in mind and thought. And so how can we be united in mind and thought? How is that even possible? 
Well, we already said that you don't have to agree on the non-essentials, okay? So it's not about that. But how can we be sure to agree on the important stuff? I mean, you have all kinds of people in the church from a lot of different backgrounds. How can you be unified in mind and thought? And I'd say, I would say the best way to do that is through two things, through studying his word and prayer. Okay, we've been given a book that helps us know God better. Okay, if we are all studying this book, it can't help but unify us. Okay, the Bible is God's guide for our lives, and so we need to be on this never-ending quest to know and understand it better. And also, if we're praying for unity, God is going to mold us and shape us into the church he wants us to be. Just like Jesus prayed for unity, we need to pray for unity as well. And then what else does unity look like? Well, it looks like everybody doing their part. I love the passage in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul compares the church to the human body. And so let's read this. It's kind of a longer passage, but it's good. Uh, we're going to start in verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, uh, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Okay, so this is a great way to describe how important it is for the body of Christ to work together and how important each part of the body is. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church and he's saying, hey guys, every part of the body is important, even the parts that you really don't see. It's like he's saying, good for you, those who are, who are willing to work in the background without a lot of public recognition. Way to go. We need you. You're indispensable. We have so many people that do their part to make Fur Road function, and they often go unnoticed. For example, Christy Quick. You know, since we started meeting back in the church, after our first uh, time that we had to shut things down, uh, in between services, she disinfects the chairs and in the bathrooms and in the lobby and, and uh, gets it ready for the second service. And then on Mondays, she, she comes in and disinfects every week the whole church that's been used. And it's a huge help to the body. And David Quick also has projects he's 
working on around the church all the time. Okay, he keeps us looking great. Did you guys know that on most Saturday nights he comes and blows the leaves and sticks and grass off the driveway so it looks nice when people come on Sundays? And David and Christy, they don't care about getting any attention for what they're doing. They just want to serve the Lord. They'll probably be embarrassed that I'm saying this. But they are doing their part in the body. You know, there are so many unseen parts of the human body. In fact, most of it is unseen. For example, an adult skeleton has 213 bones, but they all have a purpose. There are about 100 trillion cells in the body. You can't see all these cells, but they all have a purpose. The average brain has about 100 billion nerve cells. They all have a purpose. You know, each square inch of skin consists of about 20 feet of blood vessels. Think about that. It all has a purpose. And all of the stuff inside the human body is crucial for it to work properly. In the church body, I think sometimes we think, you know, if we can't sing or, or be in front of people that we're not as important. But everyone plays a crucial role. But we need everyone to play their role. Here's the thing. The human body, it can function without some of its parts. You know, but it is most efficient when all of the parts are working together. You know, if somebody loses an arm, they can still learn to work around not having two arms. But it, it just isn't quite as efficient as having two arms. My dog Shadow has three legs, and, and he's learned to get a well good on those, those three legs. But he doesn't get around as good as a dog with four legs. And, you know, he taught them himself this little barrel roll thing. When he's running one way and he wants to turn and go the other direction, and he stops and barrel rolls, and, and that helps him go the other, other way. And it, it's funny to see. But I'm sure that Shadow still wishes he had four legs. Um, in the same way, the body of Christ can function without everybody working together and doing their part, but it's just not as efficient. It doesn't work as well. And so as everyone in the body does their part and works together, it actually helps, helps us to be more unified. Okay, And if you don't have a role right now, we'd love to help you find a role in the body of Christ. Here's the thing. Ultimately, as a church, we need to be about loving God and loving people. Okay, That should be the foundation of everything we do. That, that's our church motto because Jesus said, that these are the two most important commandments when he was asked about it. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, love God and love people. A minister friend of mine unexpectedly had a heart attack and died way too young, a little over a week ago. And I went to the funeral last Friday and, and his, his motto for life was to love God and love others. And he lived that out beautifully. He showed the world what this should look like in everything he did. And he had a great impact on many people. That's what we're trying to do as a church as well, to love God and love people. And if we do that as a united front, unbelievable things can happen. You know, Jesus said, we looked at it already, when Christians are unified, it helps show the world who he is. And how much God loves them. That's a pretty good reason to be unified, isn't it? So let's do it. Pray with me. Father, we, we come before you this morning and ask for forgiveness. 
for the divisions that have taken place among Christians and how that has hurt our witness to the world. And I pray that uh, starting right here in our church, that we will be unified, that we will work together, that we will show love to each other, and that that will spread out, and that people will see that love and see us working together and want that, want to be a part of that. And I pray not just for our church, but all churches, that they will work together, and I pray that we will be on the same team with other churches, and that we will be a united front for you. Thank you for being patient with us. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I would encourage you to, to take some time to further discuss the message with those you're with and, and talk about the importance of unity and, you know, are you doing your part in helping make this happen? And, and maybe take some time to, to sing some songs, some worship songs together, take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, but thank you again for joining us, and God bless.